All right, here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. Today, David Silverstein shares his story of using life-saving skills and in the event surrounding the save. He's also going to talk about some of the things that we need to kind of think about beforehand and afterwards, how we review that. Also, I've got Bubba Wilson, the District 6 representative for AT Cares. Bubba and I have talked many times about the event that I had where we performed CPR and the kid died and the support and surrounding efforts. And that kind of led him into leading the AT Cares for our area. So he's had lots of conversations similar to what we've had about people having saves or going for a save and and it not uh, working out. So Dave's going to share his story and then Bubba and I will be asking lots of questions. This is Sports medicinebroadcast.com slash David Silverstein. That's silver and then S-T-E-I-N. Sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash David Silverstein. And I am your host, Jeremy Jackson. So I want to welcome you to the show. David, good morning and welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Good morning. Long time listener, first time caller. Bubba, of course, welcome back. It's been a little while. COVID's kind of kept you away. Some people would say that's a good thing, but. Well, and most people do, so it's okay. I mean, I get it. <laughs> All right, David, let's get right to it. Let's uh, get right to where you, you're in the moment of life saving. So tell us that story and we'll go from there. Sure. Um, you know, in preparation for, you know, being on, you know, I was doing a little research on uh, UW Cardiology's website. That was one of the websites that uh, KSI is uh partners with and so um if i may you know hit your listeners with a little bit of knowledge before getting into it um so i've found out you know uh doctor's name uh dr dresner i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly he's one of the i guess leading sports cardiologists in the country and he's team doctor for the seahawks and he had this video you know, that just kind of explains, uh, you know, going through, you know, life-saving skills and what to look for. And, you know, it, obviously, you know, sudden cardiac arrest is one of the leading, uh, you know, m- causes of mortality for our student athletes. And, you know, I, amazingly, uh, 75% of those occur in football, basketball, and soccer. And, you know, 10% uh, mortality increases with every minute that goes by without defibrillation. So that was something that I didn't know being a uh, BLS instructor. So I was interested to find that, uh, you know, little pearl of knowledge. And, you know, coincidentally, you know, early defibrillation, you know, increases your chances of survival by 80 percent so you know a big uh you know reason why it's so important but what he was saying that uh you know these are all the symptoms that my kid had you know eyes rolled back uh brief seizure like activity and agonal breathing are kind of distractors for i guess early action and um because you might be thinking that he's having a seizure or, uh, but, 
an unconscious athlete without any, you know, sign of trauma, you know, you should automatically assume that it's a sudden cardiac arrest and, you know, begin uh, CPR immediately. So what happened, you know, that night, um, you know, I had just been hired by the school district. It's an inner city school in East Cleveland, which is, you know, obviously inner city. And so I was just hired to do PRN games. Uh, so this was two weeks after I had started and, you know, didn't really know any of the kids that well, but, you know, this is the one kid that I had had at least some interaction with and, you know, knew his name, um, you know, his, uh, you know, friends, teammates, family calls him Z, which is, uh, short for, uh, Zaharias. And, uh, so he had a great first half, uh, but, you know, he was showing some signs that, you know, he wasn't doing so good. Um, none, nobody really picked up on him because they were very subtle. But, you know, he said afterward, you know, just wasn't feeling right. He was, I guess, thirsty. You know, he had asked to come out of the game a couple times. So, he, you know, he really couldn't put a finger on it and, you know, didn't say anything to me because, you know, he didn't even really know what to say. Um, so halftime comes and you know i stay in the gym to do some administrative stuff and you know one of the kids comes out to get me saying you know z's down come quick so i mean i dropped everything and not really knowing what i'm getting myself into at this point so i didn't bring anything with me um so get to the locker room and he's down uh you know his you know teammates are kind of cradling his head and, you know, again, you know, he has those, uh, you know, couple of uh, symptoms, you know, with the eyes rolled back and, you know, agonal breathing. And, um, you know, at first I thought, you know, he might just be having a seizure. And then, you know, kind of realized that he wasn't. And, you know, the coach is yelling, you know, kind of yelling, you know, not at me, just, you know, because he's fearful for the kid's life. You know. um, so, I took his pulse and, um, you know, I had been reading this book and, um, and I'll get to the, you know, the significance of that in a second. Uh, the book, uh, you know, tells you to, you know, count down, you know, five, four, three, two, one, and then go. And when you say go, you, you know, just get rid of any of anxiety that you have or whatever is holding you back and you, you just go for it, uh, whatever it is. So, you know, did that, um, and, um, you know, fortunately by the time I had, you know, sent one of the kids to get the AED from the gym, you know, by the time he got back, you know, the EMS squad was already there. Uh, we had probably performed a couple rounds of, uh, compressions and breaths and, um, you know, he had a favorable outcome, fortunately, um, but you know, it's quite a whirlwind. Hey, David, you said this was a, a game. Was EMS on site? No, uh, they weren't. We had a column and, you know, being, you know, that I had only been there for a couple of weeks, you know, had no idea how long it might take them to respond. Um, you know, fortunately, it was what, Tuesday night. So, 
not sure, you know, what all is going on on a Tuesday night in East Cleveland, but they responded, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah, if you got, I mean, by the time they, who called 911? Did they call 911 before you got there? They called, I had them call. Okay. I mean, that's um, still pretty quick if you just did a couple of rounds of CPR and. Yeah. Are, so. I mean, they must have been in the area. So I was very thankful uh, that they responded so quickly and that, you know, things went the right way. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about, you said you can did a couple rounds of CPR. They talked about the transition from your care to the EMS care. So when they got there, you know, they were setting up, uh, they were putting a line in his leg and uh, there were a handful of um, EMTs, paramedics that arrived and so while they were getting set up, they, you know, had us finish, you know, doing our, you know, couple cycles and, you know, then they took over. Small, it was a small locker room. So, you know, when they took over, you know, I got out of there just so they had room to work and um, room to move. All right. So then let's but, go ahead. Uh, I was, I was just going to say, you know, they weren't, they were only in there for, you know, a couple minutes, if that, you know, after they got there so that, you know, they got them on the bus pretty quickly. All right. So kind of continue on from there. Um, you guys, you said you went and you had somebody grab the AED. Did y'all ever apply your AED? No, the, um, East Cleveland EMS applied theirs, you know, Honestly, I, you know, didn't even know if the AED was going to work when the last time it was serviced, um, you know, if the pads were still good, but I mean, I was, you know, going to take a chance, you know, it was pr probably the best chance, you know, he would have had, um, but uh, didn't have to use ours, fortunately, and, you know, came to find out that it was just serviced. So that's, you know, this is a good reason why you know, even if you're at your school full time, should always know when the last time your AED was serviced and make sure that the pads are still good. All right. So then EMS comes, they apply there. Uh, you said they put in a line in his leg, they put, apply the AED. Mm -hmm. uh, do you know if they shocked him there, continue CPR? They there? did. I believe they shocked him once. Uh, I think he had a V-fib rhythm that they shocked him out of and um you know so i think he but he only needed one at least while he was in the locker room whether or not he needed more on the bus is i'm not sure so at this point he is on his way to the hospital but he is essentially revived even if he is maybe somewhat unconscious or sedated. right mm-hmm all right. All right. So let's continue on the story. Tell me, kind of, did you go to the hospital afterwards? Did you have to say, hey, guys, I, I need to take a break. I need to go home. So tell me what else played out. At that point, you know, I, I didn't want to be there because, you know, I was just thinking to myself, like, what just happened? What did I just do? And then, you know, realized that I had to stay there for the second half. And, you know, everybody was just kind of down, 
you know, the team was up at halftime and ended up losing. So not a great second half. Um, you know, I did reach out to a coworker during the second half who was a BLS instructor with me. You know, he was good friends with one of the guys that does AT cares in the area. So, um, his name's John Smith. Uh, so John reached out to me and, you know, was talking me, you know, kind of through things. So that really helped. And, uh, you know, it's the second time that I've needed AT cares. And so I'm a big fan of it and, you know, would love to get into that as well. Didn't go to the hospital, you know, by the time the game was over, excuse me, you know, I was just, I was tired. I was drained and, you know, just wanted to go home and try and relax. But, you know, I came to find out the morning after that, you know, the kid was doing well. And from there and just getting back into my normal routine, you know, was somewhat of a comfort. So let's go back to when you started your emergency response on this individual what did the coaches do? Did they clear that locker room for you so you could work or were all? Yeah. So um, the only one that stuck around was, you know, the head coach and he was, he may have been the one to, you know, send somebody to get the AD. You know, he was the one that I had call 911. Um, you know, so he, he calmed down and, um, but uh, there was a, an officer in there with me as well doing the compressions and they were thankful to him. I could have done it by myself, but was thankful that I didn't have to. Right. Right. Um, any, you know, obviously we're talking about two different States here, Texas and Ohio. We have in Texas, our coaches must be CPR AED trained. Were your coaches trained? I would like to say yes. Um, (laughs) In a perfect world, in a perfect world, they are, would be, um, I believe it's a requirement and I didn't ask the athletic director if they were or not. Um, I know that's one thing, you know, that that they can get behind on, um, their full-time teachers and coaches and, you know, I can see where it's not always at the top of their priority list, but, you know, maybe after this, it will be at least for them. That is part of their needs to be part of their training for sure. Um, to, you know, to keep their, I can't say license, but you know, for them to keep their job as a coach, that's it, part right. of the, one of the requirements. And so what about from the school administration? Anybody come down after, talk to anybody? Has that ever happened? Um, the next game, the principal came, you know, gave me a big hug and, you know, firm handshake. And, um, you know, at the time I didn't know who he was, you know, I came to find out, you know, after I asked, you know, who he was, I just thought, you know, maybe he was a thankful citizen or I don't know. So I've been talking to him about maybe making this more of a full-time venture so we'll see all right so i want to go back to a little bit bubba just asked did anybody ever call you anybody say hey david how are you doing what do you need i know you reached out to i think you said john smith yes um, a co-worker 
right? And talk to him a little bit, but did anybody reach out or, you know, how did you process that at night? Because whenever I had that situation here, obviously our story was different. We did CPR, the kid did not survive. Again, that's, we've gone through that two or three times on the podcast. Um, I'm the one that pressed the AED button. You know, I, I saw the whole, the body uh, jump. I saw the agonal breathing mm-hmm. and it wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't any administrative person there to support. It was other athletic trainers saying, Hey, I heard about your situation. Is there anything I can do to help? <clears throat> and so did you have anybody like Bob was saying, did you have anybody reach out and say, Hey, you did good. Hey, you know, here's something that might help you sleep, taking these breaths or anything like that. Processing the whole event that night before bed. Uh, I mean, did no. you sit and talk to your wife for an hour? Talk to me I mean, you know, you know, I talked to my girlfriend on the way home. I talked to John and, you know, I talked to my parents to let them know what happened. Um, I mean, even then, and this was, you know, an hour, hour and a half afterward, I was, you know, still, you know, very shaken up. I mean, that was the first time I ever had to do CPR. And, you know, so I was even then I was still running through my head, you know, the, you know, what had just happened and, you know, how did I perform and what I, I could have maybe done differently or better, you know, if that ever happened again. Um, so those were more of the thoughts in my head at the time. And then it was, wasn't until later that I posted something on, you know, Facebook, you know, that everyone was telling me, you know, I was a hero and, you know, this, that, and the other. And, um, but that was, you know, well after I knew he was okay. And, um, I think I slept okay that night, but, you know, needed some meds to do that because even before bed, I was still going through things in my head and I know that it would have eaten at me had there been a different outcome. So I can only imagine, you know, what you must've been going through. Yeah, definitely different. And again, I'm, I'm glad your situation turned out different than mine. Yeah, always. What, David, what did you, so you talked about the night of, so the next day when you found out this athlete was doing well, Mm -hmm. um, what, what was your process then? And how did you sleep that second night? You know, when I found out he was doing well, I was, I guess it's hard to put into words, you know, how happy I was, you know, to know that, you know, he had a favorable outcome and it was going to be okay. And that, you know, the great team that he had at the hospital I used to work at, you know, gave him such great care. So that night I slept great. I guess he was there because of me. I, although kind of my humility doesn't, you know, kind of keeps me from thinking, and all of that was because of me. It was, I mean, there were so many people that, you know, were involved with his care. So um, I gave him a, a better chance to be there. So, you know, was just very thankful and grateful. All right, David, we're going to come back to some of your athletic trainer story and your prior experience with CBR. But I want to ask Bubba a couple, Bubba, a couple of questions here. Bubba, here in the greater Houston area, so, you know, the larger schools, the 6A schools here, most of us have athletic trainers, and I would say most of us uh, with full-time athletic trainers are pretty compliant as far as the coaches being CPR certified and doing the Senate Bill 82 safety drills where 
you know, each of the teams is supposed to practice going to get the AED, get the athletic trainer, and what to do in an emergency situation. However, there are a lot of smaller schools that you work with as outreach. What does that look like? Do you do you have any idea if they practice those, if those coaches are compliant, things like that? Uh, you mean as far as a percentage of that tell me they do versus a percentage that actually do? I'm not going to speculate. <laughs> so if you were going to um, bet, if you were going to you know place a bet, all right, it's fifty percent, seventy five percent. Just I, I would say at best it's fifty percent. But you've also got to, and and I'm not just going to throw them under the bus with emergency action planning. You you've got to look at the whole spectrum of everything that they're required to do. And it's and I'm going to argue it's not a lot. And I've beat this drum before. It's not you know, something new, but between concussion law, which is HB 2038, Senate Bill 7, Senate Bill 82 are the big ones. There's quite a bit of compliance there. Emergency action planning, um, AED access, three minutes or less, uh, concussion management protocol, you know, drilling that emergency action plan. And and I'll, I'll, I'll go back to you, Jeremy. You know, you guys had a plan the plan was put into place, the outcome was not good, right? It was not optimal. But the plan worked. Mm -hmm. If you look at it that way, the plan did work. The the silver lining of that situation is a week or two after I was teaching CPR on on one of your campuses, that was a very attentive group of coaches because of that. So, if, as I've argued, if you take the political axiom of never let a good crisis go to waste, you've got to use those to say, this is why you have to know this. You know, if, David, if you hadn't have been there, what are the odds those coaches would have reacted? We yeah, I mean, know, right? We don't know. Right. I mean, you know, there, the police officer was there, you know, he was trained. I'm not sure he would have, you know, a kid would have known to look for him or, you know, how visible he was at the time. So I mean, there was a lot of factors that could have played against the kid sure. you know, had I not been there. So, um, you know, I often wonder, you know, if it was, you know, divine intervention that I was there for, or, you know, if, you know, God has some bigger plan for this kid and, you know, Obviously, it wasn't his time to go, um, but, uh, you know, it certainly wouldn't have been as good of an outcome, for sure. Right. I mean, you know, the, the, the argument from coaches is, well, that's why you're there. Well, you're right, but I'm not on your bus coming back from a game if something happens, right? I, right. I'm not there. I, I can't be. We can't be as athletic trainers. Or what happens at home, you know? So take these skills that you're required to have as, as an educator and a coach in Texas or as a coach, not an educator, but, and then you can apply them anywhere, right? You can apply them at your house. You can apply them on the roadside. Hopefully as a, as a, as a good first responder, you can apply them at the grocery store if something happens, but you know, if something, God forbid does happen, step in, you know? And so I'm going to argue on your behalf that you were there and you shortened that process, right? We didn't, it out. there wasn't a delay now. Of, oh, this is bad. Call 911. Okay. There was no, well, maybe he's got, what if what, none of that was there? You did your assessment, call 911. Here we go, right? You talked about counting down from five, boom, yeah. the process starts. And so that, 
that's part of the argument. You did your job. Now we can we can talk about the other stuff later, but you did what you were what you were trained to do. Right. Exactly. And and you know and and I'm a I'm an instructor, you know, BLS instructor as well. And I think one of the things we have to remind everybody that we train is that that AED is important, but it is not the end all be all. Some rhythms we can't convert. Some rhythms it can't shock at all. That that compressions, especially in the era of COVID, those compressions, if their quality, are paramount. And you know, and as that, I argue all the time, something is better than nothing. You know, I agree more. And, and if I'm going to be the guy standing there freaking out, get me out of the room, <laughs> deal with me later, but go in there and do your you know do your job to the best of your ability. And and so again, you shortened that that delay of. of higher standard of care, getting there to put a line in and do, push those drugs and do those right. things. So this kid had a better percentage chance of a good outcome. Yeah. So, I mean, since you're a BLS instructor as well, you know, there's a part in the, you know, first part of the video, you know, a lady's talking, giving her account. And, you know, she says, you know, remember everything they taught you and then expect that nothing is going to go that way. And, you know, there's always going to be like some caveats mm -hmm. and, you know, something you can't, you know, prepare for maybe that you haven't uh, trained for, but, you know, and so like the agonal breathing was one and, you know, the, you know, I, you know, so obviously when you're practicing on a dummy, you don't have any of these things. Um, but, uh, yeah, you just, you know, got to go with your gut and, um, you know, give, you know, give the ch kid the best chance that he has um, by, you know, responding immediately and, you know, putting any of that fear, doubt, you know, whatever is going on in the background out of your head and just go for it. You know, you talked about, you know, looking back after what could I have done better? And Jeremy sure. and I have talked about this a lot, too. If you if you sit back at a 35,000 foot view and look at it, is it perfect? Never is. You're right. There's that. Never. There's always that asterisk, right, of something, whatever it is. I had to move them. We had to do this. It wasn't it wasn't perfect, sure. what, whatever. But when you sit back and look at it, almost everybody I've talked to, it just kicked in and you do it. And then when you get back and go, well, we did a pretty stinking good job of it, you know, in the grand scheme of things. It was, was it a hundred percent? No, but it was in the high nineties, you know, of everything you were supposed to do. Sure. I'll take and that. You can always go back and say, well, obviously our coaches need this, or we need to do this, or we need, you know, those things, but that's what an after action review is for. Even if it's mentally with yourself, <laughs> you know, to do those things. You know, I don't know that I've ever really talked about it here, but when I was a student athletic trainer, or now we call him a student aide, athletic training aide in high school, we actually had a kid that died, and like I helped wheel that kid off of the off of the field into the athletic training room for some reason, and I remember seeing his eyes were gray, and then my friend, my high school buddy, <clears throat> was doing CPR, and I had to go outside and help the ambulance get inside. I'm not sure why we did exactly what we did but just the whole process of you know I'd, I'd perform I hadn't performed CPR but I've been part of the process once before and seeing the eyes rolled back and things like that um and I didn't 
I guess it's because I wasn't an instructor, you know, the, the stuff with Eric where he died, it's, it's a lot more relevant. And I was the one actually on the scene, kind of in charge of the scene, but <clears throat> there's definitely that, that moment of like, Oh my gosh, what am I doing? And then it just like, you hit the zone, like, okay, well now, now just the training kicks in, just like you were saying. Um, so David, tell me where you first got certified in CPR and then walk us through your athletic trainer story. And then we're going to come back to the emergency action plan stuff. Okay. So, yeah, I first gotten certified, you know, when I was in college through one of the kinesiology classes I was taking that was more than 20 years ago. Um, and so I went to Michigan state university. I mean, you know, I'm from originally from the Detroit area. So went to Michigan state and, you know, kind of had a plan of going into physical therapy, but, you know, they didn't have a program and, you know, one of the counselors advisors, I guess knew enough at the time to kind of direct me towards athletic training. So, you know, I got in my, you know, sophomore I'm sorry, the second semester of my freshman year into the athletic training program. And, you know, I could just see that it was kind of a marriage, you know, of two uh, passions of mine. So, you know, did that for four years and, um, you know, got certified and, you know, came here to Cleveland to be a grad assistant. Um, I guess, you know, being honest, I didn't really feel so prepared when I first, uh, you know, got out and, you know, got out on my own, um, you know, being the internship route, you know, there was none of this, uh, you know, going to, you know, high schools or, you know, clinics for a semester. It was all I knew was, you know, big 10 athletes. And so when I'm, working with high school kids or I'm working with lay people, lay people, I, you know, I, I struggled. Um, and, you know, to the point where it wasn't fun for me anymore and got out for, you know, seven years, um, got that itch to get back into it. And that was eight years ago. So, you know, since then, um, you know, my first job, back as an athletic trainer was working in another inner city school. It was, uh, the position was created by a grant from the Browns and the NFL. And so, um, you know, pretty had to learn how to make do with, you know, pretty much nothing, you know, the grants would, uh, supply some of the stuff that I needed, but it was most, it wasn't anything that I was used to. Um, so you kind of learn to make do with that. And so, I mean, that taught me a lot. Um, it also was a big learning experience that, you know, you're kind of there to be the advocate for those kids because, you know, in the inner city, they might not have anybody else. And so you're that guy or that gal. Um, and so, you know, had a lot of referrals because, you know, I was the one, you know, talking to mom and dad saying, you know, this kid needs to be seen, you know, maybe not today, but certainly tomorrow. And I can make that happen for you. 
Otherwise, you know, you're going somewhere where, you know, the doctor might tell you to, you know, just rest for two weeks and, or, um, you know, it might be two weeks before you could even get in to see them. So, um, you know, getting them that next day appointment and, you know, or being the voice saying, you know, you don't got to go just yet. Let me give me a couple days and, you know, let me see what I can do. Um, and if, you know, after those couple days, he's no better off, you know, then we'll, you know, get some pictures taken and, you know, go from there. But, you know, so kind of dis discerning in the parent's mind that, you know, this is urgent emergence or, you know, neither, and, you know, they don't need to waste their time, you know, and, uh, resources taking the kid, you know, to the emergency room that night. Um, so, you know, I guess fast forward to now, um, you know, I'm working at a chiropractor's office, you know, doing rehab on uh, workers' comp patients and Moonlight doing a bunch of PRN work, which is, you know, how I came into, you know, this position, uh, you know, at the East Cleveland High School. Um, turns out that one of the football coaches, you know, I knew from this other school. And so just started, you know, volunteering for, you know, his team because I knew him and knew that they didn't have anybody. Um, I believe they had like some retired firefighters or, you know, on the sidelines that didn't really know much about sports medicine. Um, that was last year. They moved to a new field, you know, off site, you know, for this past season because, you know, I guess their field is under construction. So, you know, so I was with them for two years and, you know, that's what made the athletic director reach out to me to ask if I wanted to do basketball as well. Um, and, and so I'm doing that, I'm doing a bunch of go for Ellis stuff and uh, just making it all fit together, finding out times to sleep afterward. So you had never performed CPR in any form or fashion before this event? Not in a real person. You know, just those dummies uh, that American Heart Association provides. Um, it's a lot different when, you know, the kid actually has a face and breaths don't always go in. And so not only is it different, but it I guess that was kind of what got to me, maybe not got to me, but, you know, that was, you know, such a big difference, you know, going from practicing on a dummy to, you know, actually a real person where you can't really afford to have any miscues or, um, so, but yes, that was my first time. So <clears throat> there's, I think there's actually been four times. So the one was I talked about that kid in high school where I was part of it. Two is obviously I've shared the story of Eric here. And then my son was eating a frozen strawberry. It was probably like one or two and he was choking. And again, it was that moment of like, <gasps> what do I do? So then, you know, I snatch off the high chair tray, pick him up, turn him upside down. And right at that time, Ooh. as I go to turn him upside down, that strawberry comes out. And then the other time, you know, I'm in a restaurant in California. Uh, I'm, a, I'm on an anniversary trip with my wife. And she says, hey, there's something going on with that guy over there. So I stand up, walk over there. Hey, can I help? You call 911. And it, it is really just, you do, you, as a instructor, you do it so much. It's like, right. hey, you do this, you do this, boom, boom. Sure. You know? And it's really, 
like quite cool that when you practice it that often that you you know what you're doing. So let's talk about the EAP and the changes that have been or are are in the process of being made now that you've had that experience. So what what does it look like for you now? Um, haven't had that discussion with the athletic director yet, um, but going forward, you know, that's definitely a conversation we need to have. Um, I mean, there, you know, I guess number one would just be making sure that, you know, the coaches are trained and that, you know, each site, you know, that they use for athletics has a, you know, EAP for that site specifically. Um, and that, you know, they know like who's going to be the one to call 911 and who's going to be the one to, you know, meet the squad and, um, you know, what to tell them and, you know, where to go. And you guess, you know, even, you know, because I can remember playing on baseball fields, you know, at the last school I was at, you know, and they used uh, park fields, you know, within the city, you know, not a dedicated uh, field for that school. Um, you know, there was no access for the ambulance to get in anywhere. So, you know, just, you know, making sure of things like that. I was kind of surprised that, you know, the field that they, football field that they were using this year didn't have EMS at the game. And, and it was a school that a friend of mine works at. And so she said that, you know, they're so close that you just, you know, call them and they'll be there, or, you know, in a couple minutes, but, you know, not there at the game, which I thought was strange. I never, you know, really had a varsity football game without EMS there. Um, but I mean, other changes, you know, may, and just the, you know, thinking forward is, you know, maybe going through, you know, a time where you have just a kid, you know, who's fine, but, you know, maybe a football player can go through having, you know, his, you know, pads removed if that, uh, response time, communicating with the EMTs, paramedics, getting him to the hospital, you know, the hospital's uh, expertise and, you know, what they do on their end. And, and so, I mean, I've heard of that. And if I was there full time and, you know, could make that happen, you know, I'd certainly love to be a part of that. Bubba, give us your elevator pitch for AT Cares. Give us your elevator pitch for AT Cares. And then, David, I want to hear kind of how that worked out for you, how that was involved in your story. So AT's Care is um, peer-to-peer support following a crisis. My crisis is not your crisis. Um, and it is confidential. And, um, you know, you, like anything else, I can lead a horse to water. I can't make them drink. If we know about it, somebody's going to reach out to you. If you don't want our services, that's fine. We're not, you know, we're not going to get upset. We're there for you. And as I, as I say, nobody understands what we do better than another one of us as an athletic trainer, right? Um, Jeremy, how, how long the kid that you dealt with, 
How, how long had you known him? He was a junior. So. Okay. So minimum three years. Maybe if they had an older sibling that played, you've known that individual longer than that, you know, depending on the situation. And as I say, what, what are the odds that EMS rolls up on, a, on an issue and knows that victim? Depending on if it's, a, if it's a big town, not very high odds. And so, again, we may have known this individual, if we use CPR, um, that we're doing compressions on for a long time. And, and I'll argue three plus years or three and a half, two and a half, whatever is a long time. Even if it's, I know them in passing only, that's still knowledge of this individual. And so again, peer-to-peer support following a crisis. And again, my crisis is not your crisis. Those compressions, good or bad outcome, may be your crisis. Um, Something else may be your crisis. That crisis could be loss of your job in the COVID era. It could be, as my dogs are walking around underneath my legs right now, a loss of one of my dogs. I can tell you right now, call me when that happens because I'm going to be a basket case. But somebody that's trained, we are all that do this are trained at different levels. And uh, we will reach out and hopefully help you work through that incident um, and and get you on the path to moving forward. You ever seen the movie Elf where Buddy, the elf, presses all of those buttons on the elevator? <laughs> that's the elevator pitch that Bubba was writing. <laughs> I left a couple undone. So, <laughs> all right, David, how did AT AT's care play into your situation? Um, so I mentioned that you know this was the second time that I've needed them. You know, the first time was a couple years ago. You know, nothing involved with athletics. I mean, the the I had a kid die. He was going into his senior year. It was over, you know, right before uh, two days for football was going to start, and he was uh, he was the quarterback was murdered out in the community, and so um, that was the first time. And they were su- super supportive. It would have hit me harder if it was like something that I did, you know, that uh, put them in that position. But you know, just the fact that you know. Like you said, uh, Bubba, that it was somebody that you knew, um, and, and I knew him, you know, fairly well. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to this time, you know, it was very supportive, you know, because you know he, that was the first voice that, you know, of reason of support that I had, you know, right after it happened, and. You know, now so now that I've needed them twice, you know, I certainly see the value, and you know, I'm looking to get into that myself the next time that there's a uh, class available. Um, but you know, I don't know that there's any greater good that we can do for each other than you know just being there when we need each other. Um, you know, I like to think of it as like a big restority. And, you know, you're not always going to be at your best every day. And, you know, if it's not, you know, a coworker or your boss, you know, picking you up, it's, you know, got to be somebody else. So, you know, why not me? Why not you? You know, so. I'll go ahead and punch another one of those elevator buttons, Jeremy. So thanks. Um, You know, one of the things is, is when you contact someone doing this, I, I, I tell them, look, I'm, 
and I'm going to, I'm going to genericize it here. Not that I don't care. I don't care about the event. Honestly, it doesn't matter what the event was. It's your reaction or response to that event. You know, how are you doing right now? And so when they realize they don't really care, they're not Monday morning quarterbacking me as I like to tell them, right? I'm not going to Monday morning quarterback you on that. I wasn't there. And so I'm there for you right now. And it's, it's odd because they'll, you know, you kind of feel it over the, even if it's over the phone, wow, they're checking on me. That doesn't happen. And, and that's the, you know, the interesting thing is kind of breaks the ice right there. If they want to know how I'm doing and, you know, as opposed to suck it up, buttercup, we got to play a second half of a game. You know, you're the athletic trainer, you're tough. You can handle these things. We got to, we got to keep going. Um, and, and, you don't have a choice sometimes, as you well know, David, but mm-hmm. it's after the fact, you're like, oh, wow, you know, what was, yeah. what just happened in the last hour and a half, two hours, you know, and, and, and trying to process that. Um, so it's, again, we're there for each other. Um, we should be there for each other, regardless of if we've been trained or not. Um, when Jeremy's happened, I wasn't trained. I was a friend when I reached out to him and his coworker. You know, I'm sorry for your loss. What can I do for you? And and then when you do that, you got to mean it. You know, mm-hmm. you throw it out there. And go, I need X. Oh no 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 no, can't do that. You know, um, now it's not like you want my checkbook. I'm not going to do that, <laughs> obviously. But you know, you need some help with something within reason. You know, we'll work on making that happen. So, um, you know, I, I think from a from a crisis management 101, reach out, be there for them, be an ear be a shoulder, whatever it needs to be, you know, and, and we'll go from there. Perry agrees. He said, good program with great people. He's watching live on Facebook. So has all fans of ATs care. Jeremy, who said that? Perry, didn't he? Hey, Perry's, well, he's old. He's awake though. It's nine o'clock there. So yeah, (laughs) I'm surprised he's not on the road. Hi, Perry. He probably is. He's working some rodeo somewhere. Who knows? So, (laughs) That's that's just local. He he's traveling, doing nothing most of the time. So you know. <laughs> All right, David. Any last words of wisdom for someone who may be in a similar situation, um, or things that you would do to prepare? Fent. So any any last words of wisdom? Um, you know, just like I mentioned that you know when you actually have to do it for the first time, you know you might you know, have some, you know, kid might have some symptoms that, you know, you never seen or, you know, might be, you know, position slightly different or, you know, never going to be the way that you practice. So, you know, practicing as much as you can in different venues, um, you know, was certainly going to take a lot of the anxiety, fear, uh, doubt, you know, away and, you know, just prepare that or be prepared that, you know, when you actually have to do it in a live person, you know, it's certainly a lot different than, you know, on the dummy that you're used to practicing on and that, you know, certainly having somebody there, you know, to help you through things and to, you know, is you know great and you know if there's someone that can you know do breaths that while you do compressions or you know a couple people 
that are there that know what they're doing that can give you a break, great. But if not, uh, you're kind of you're kind of the one man show until the EMS gets there, and you know, hopefully, you have a good relationship with them. You know, so things go smoothly in the handoff, and um, you know, you kind of know maybe how long it might be. It you know until they arrive and you know so i guess those would be my words of wisdom for you know no one that's gone through it before uh i'm not sure that it you know would be any easier the second time but at least you know some of those barriers to action wouldn't be there and i guess uh you know prn work is an animal in and of itself and maybe would be helpful to, you know, kind of have like emergency action plan in place already, um, but not always guaranteed. So, you know, be prepared that you might be thinking on the fly and, uh, you know, so hopefully that isn't a big barrier to action, but I can certainly foresee it being one. Um, but, uh, you know, good luck to any of those, uh, you know, brothers, sisters that uh, have to go through that. And, you know, certainly, you know, hope that, you know, you, the outcome that you have is as good as the one that I had. And because um, I mean, I've heard stories from, I mean, you, Jeremy, and, you know, a couple other colleagues that have, you know, come forward to me, you know, to tell me about their, you know, stories that weren't as favorable and didn't end as optimally as mine did. So, you know, you know, I'm grateful that, you know, mine ended the way it did, but, uh, you know, I certainly would have, you know, needed a couple more conversations with, uh, John or, you know, somebody else had it not gone, you know, the way it did. For sure. So greatly appreciate you having me on and, you know, giving me the chance to share the story and, um, share my advice with, you know, younger athletic trainers or those who haven't gone through this and um, hopefully it helps somebody. Bubba, best way to get a hold of you? I have social media, but I rarely post anything on there. So uh, get a hold of Jeremy. He can get me. All right. So yeah, you can find him on Twitter and you could usually like message him or tweet him something like that. And then he'll kind of go from there. But easily reach out to me uh, on social media. I'm Mr. Jeremy Jackson on Twitter or on Instagram or on Facebook or sports medicine broadcast on Instagram or Facebook. And easy way to get a hold of me there. David, best way to reach out and get a hold of you. Uh, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, uh, DA underscore Silverstein, LinkedIn, Instagram. And again, um, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash David Silverstein. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash David Silverstein. So I'll have, the links to get a hold of each of us there as well. One of my partners is Frio Hydration. And, you know, we talk about the saving a life, the heat illness is a big thing. And Frio Hydration provides a great product to help you prevent some of that heat illness, possibly if you're, especially down here in the, the south where it gets pretty hot during the July workouts and things like that. So check out my friends over at Frio Hydration. They provide some great products 
as long as I can, I'm going to replace everything that we have with the free hydration products because it's worth the investment. And I really believe in, in what they're doing and the, the product that they're putting out. So check out Frio. And again, if you want to reach out to David or Bubba, you can always get a hold of me or you can go to sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash David Silverstein. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash David Silverstein. So for Jeremy, David, Bubba, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap. Thanks.